I was on Bright Angel Trail hiking from the bottom of the Grand Canyon back up to the top of the South Rim. I was passed by a woman going faster than I was. I had stopped for a moment to catch my breath and let her go by. I made some remark to her, some, you know, that one fellow traveler to another about the difficulty of the hike or the heat or the incline. In what I think was a French-Canadian accent, she responded, but I am sure that we will make it. And my immediate internal realization was that I did, I had no choice. If I wanted to survive, I had to keep going. I had to keep going to get out of that canyon. At some point in my 20s, I found the passage in the Bible in Ecclesiastes. I think it's Ecclesiastes 1 um, that reads, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It goes on to say, there's nothing new under the sun. The sun comes up in the morning and it stays in the sky all day and it sets in the evening only to get up and do the same thing again the next day. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, it was saying. Basically, it was saying, I think, what's the point? But when I read it, I laughed out loud. And I laughed out loud because it was so close to how I was feeling. I was pretty depressed and despondent at the time, despairing even. And the point is that we keep on living and not just existing, but really truly living, appreciating the beauty of the natural world when all else fails. The sunrises and the sunsets and the flowers and the way bridges are constructed and span over the vast expanse of Oregon Inlet or Coronado Bay or the Potomac River. Because any option that doesn't include continuing to live, continuing to have hope, really isn't all that viable an option. It doesn't mean that we won't, in days, in moments, feel hopeless. We just cannot dwell there. When it comes down to it, we must continue to fall in love with this world and the people and the animals over and over again. There's a good deal of death in life. We know how short life can be. Maybe because of that, we know that it's precious and people are precious and the planet is precious. And someday, sooner than we will wish, our lives will be over. And we will be a memory in the minds of those who loved us. But today we are here. We can say, I am. I exist. In the face of pain and suffering that feels overwhelming, why ought we choose to live another day? This was the question posed by one of my professors in seminary. We were to write an essay about our sources of hope, and this was part of the prompt. In the face of pain and suffering that feels overwhelming, why ought we choose to live another day? In actuality, what the professor wanted was an essay on our theological doctrine of hope. 
True Confessions. After I wrote the paper, he told me he enjoyed reading it, but he didn't know if it was a theology of hope. So I'm just giving you fair warning. So I asked him, I did follow up, and I said, you know, what did you really want in this paper? And here is what he said. Doctrines of hope, or a doctrine of the church, or of human nature, or of evil, of whatever, refer to the fundamental underpinnings of your position on the issue. They derive largely from your theological perspective. A doctrine of hope, for example, might derive from some conception of God or the universe or human history. It would be an overarching conception. Almost four years later, and I still ponder this quite often, I have hope, but what are my fundamental underpinnings of why I hope? Is it that I believe that all the world is one, that we're all connected, that there's only one of us here? Is it an unconscious belief in God, or perhaps a conscious belief that there's something larger than myself, that collectively we are more than the sum of our parts? Maybe. Anne Frank in the midst of hiding from the Nazis, wrote, I believe that people are basically good. What is your theological doctrine of hope? And by theological, I really mean ontological, the beingness of your hope. And by ontological, I mean, what do you actually believe in? that keeps you hoping. The professor goes on to say that after identifying the underpinnings, the principles of our hope, here's what he says, you might then elaborate on practical or instrumental ways to access hope, grounded in that basic underlying conception. You might cite meditation or experiences of grace, or even enjoyment of children as mechanisms for accessing a sense of hope grounded in your understanding of the very nature of God or existence. Now, some of that he took from my paper, I have to say. (laughs) The latter are tools for experiencing whatever sits at the center of your source of hope. And whatever sits at the center of your source of hope is your doctrine of hope. He ended with, does that help? (laughs) What sits at the center of your source of hope? What sits at the center of our source of hope? I ask you this. I'm going to share with you some things that help me access my sense of hope. In fact, children is the first one. Being around children prompts me to look at the world with new eyes. Everything is new and fresh. They forgive so easily and let things go so quickly. And there's so much fun, usually. 
I know it's not always like that. Young adults is the next thing for me. On his Facebook page a few years ago, on January 20th, a a young adult friend of mine wrote, 20 years ago today, I lived less than five miles from the epicenter of the Northridge earthquake. That's in near L.A. We were very fortunate that our house was only moderately damaged, and more importantly, that none of us were injured. Other than moments of shaking, one of my strongest memories from that day is setting up a picnic table in our driveway that evening, our neighbor bringing over his generator, and several people from our block coming over and making and sharing dinner together. As our world faces mounting challenges, which very well may lead to increased frequency or scale of such events, it gives me hope to have seen that when tested, we didn't descend together into chaos. We came together. I watch young adults struggle with relationships, social justice, finding their compassion, career, vocation, finding jobs in a horrible job market, having children or a miscarriage or a forced abortion because of a non-viable fetus, parents divorcing or dying, young adults with cancer or other health problems. And yet, and yet they carry on. They parent well, they donate their $300 Christmas bonus to buy food for their night to cook at the homeless shelter. They make cookies to take to shut-ins, and they deeply discuss the issues of racism and oppression. They frame their world in beautiful ways, find where they can serve, and they seek community to support them on their journeys. They give me hope. People willing to stay at the table. Day after day, I watch how people that I admire and those that I don't even know stay in relationship with others. They choose to remain present, and it's hard. They stay calm, they get angry, they speak up, they hold their tongue, they listen, they care, they love, but they don't walk away. They don't leave the room. They stay in community and make room for others to do the same. Older congregants willing to consider the next generation give me hope. A man gives $1,000 for youth and young adult programming. Someone donates 20 tickets so that youth and young adults can go see a play about multiculturalism at an independent theater. People decide this building needs a restroom. They donate money to treat powder post beetles. They leave a legacy gift with no strings attached. People willing to be honest about death. Some of the people I admire most are those who are dying and can be honest about it. Let's face it, we all are dying. The folks I'm talking about are the ones who manage to talk about it directly, which means they can make their choices consciously. This is such a gift of grace to their family and friends. Sometimes there is no hope for life. If one is dying, one is dying. There's no hope that they will live, only that they will pass painlessly and that their life meant something. The honesty and courage that it takes to face our own death 
To speak of it, to make conscious decisions about it, to me is the ultimate courage. And those who are able to face that and at the same time give ultimate value to life gives me hope in humanity. Nature. Here's a recent quote. I'm not going to tell you where it's from, and you'll, you may know why later. Not today, but later. Hope is like, it's a spoiler, and I don't want to spoil it. Hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you'll never make it through the night. The cycles, I should say this. Sometimes nature takes a long time. I think about the life of an oak tree. It reminds us that some things just take a long time. But, and nature can also bring quick changes, as we've seen, with earthquakes and fires and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes. They're quite jarring to the psyche. But these offer us chances to come together in hum community, to show compassion, to show our humanity, and to be present with each other. So hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you'll never make it through the night. And the sun is returning. This uh, Thursday, I think, is December 21st. At 11.28 a.m. is the moment of the winter solstice. Anytime that day, I invite you to light a candle and know that from that moment forward, the days are getting longer. And in a month from now, we'll have almost another hour of daylight in the afternoons. The cycles of nature and the dependability of the change of the seasons, the dawning of each day, reassure me somehow. Despite that whole Ecclesiastes vanity, vanity thing in my 20s, I do find hope in the sun coming up every day and setting each night, even if I can't see it. Forgiveness. Though There are those who have had horrible things happen in their lives. Despite those unspeakable things, they have not let themselves become bitter. I can only conclude that they have found a way to forgive themselves and others. Whatever the situation or the cause, they've not held on to it in a way that makes them bitter. Creativity. Visual, literary, and performing arts. Sometimes this art comes from pain. Sometimes from a political position a person holds or a statement they want to make. But when that gets put onto a canvas or in a, the lines of a song or a poem or the, in the words of a book are expressed in movement, it serves to stimulate, comfort, and inspire us. Community. Day after day, people are willing to support each other, listen to each other's stories, and continue to work for justice and equality. To support each other in times of hardship, personal growth, and injustices suffered, and to show kindness and compassion during those times. Humor. When we've been through something hard, doesn't it feel good to laugh again? Sometimes isn't keeping things light, 
finding the common absurdity, what keeps us on an even keel. And some people are so clever with their words and twists and puns. I just love it. And finally, Unitarian Universalists give me hope. Church. Come to church, y'all. This is a place where the past lives in the present and the future. The living tradition, that's what we call it. The journey, it's a vibrant, dynamic faith with a saving message. You are loved, whoever you are. We are loved, whoever we are. We are all connected. There's only one of us here. But here's the thing about that professor and the question he posed to seminarians in the face of pain and suffering that feels overwhelming, why ought we choose to live another day? This is a man who has actually seen great pain and suffering that I have not seen and frankly hope to never see. He was president of our Unitarian Universalist Association. He was the director of Amnesty International and the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee in Haiti, in Rwanda, in many places all over the world. He saw overwhelming pain and suffering. I am guessing that there are people in this room that have seen similar things in places here in the United States and across the globe that have caused you to feel overwhelmed. And some of you are feeling it now. I invite you to take this question and ponder it in your heart. I invite you to ponder your own doctrine of hope. This is ours to do, alone and together. It is our spiritual work. What are the fundamental underpinnings that keep hope alive in you? And what are those experiences that help you access it? Maybe you know it already, and if so, I invite you to share it with someone here today or share it with me at some point. Maybe it will take a few months or a year or four, or maybe you will ponder it and allow it to evolve. Perhaps you will find your way out of a canyon because you have no other choice. Perhaps you will find, as Anne Frank did, a belief that humans are basically good. Maybe you will not be able to quite pin it down, but it is a question worthy of your whole love. Let it rest for a while at the center of your innermost being. Blessed be and amen. I invite you to rise in body or spirit to sing number 221, Light One Candle.